C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us. I'm your guest host, Kevin Hirsch, and we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. That's cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C diff radio. And it's a great Pleasure to introduce and welcome our guest Sue Barnes, RN, BSN, and Dr. Bill Spanhake um, of Global Life Technologies. Um, Sue and Bill are here today to join us to discuss the role of nasal decolonization in patient infection prevention and control. Um, first, I'm going to uh, introduce you to Sue, uh, Sue Barnes, RN, BSN. She's now working as an independent clinical consultant after retiring in 2016 as the national program leader for infection prevention and control for Kaiser Permanente's eight regions, 38 hospitals, and 630 medical offices. She's a board certified in infection control and prevention and was granted the designation of fellow of APIC in 2015 and has been in the field of infection prevention since 1989. Well, welcome, Sue. And I'd also like to welcome, oh my gosh, your bio is beautiful. Um, I'd also like to welcome uh, Dr. um, Bill Spanhig. Um, Prior to joining Global Life Technologies Corp. uh, Nozen in 2017, Dr. Bill Spanhake served as Professor of Environmental Health Sciences at the Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health since 1982. After earning his PhD in physiology at the University of Maryland, he joined the faculty of the Tulane Medical School Department of Pharmacology, developing a research program in cardiopulmonary and respiratory pharmacology. He then joined colleagues at John Hopkins Public Health to pursue research interests in pathocyte, oh, forgive me, gosh, uh, I apologize, pathophysiology at the, <laughs> at the airway epithelium. Okay, so at this time, I would like to welcome our guests to the program and thank you for joining us, Sue and Bill. To kick off the show, we'd like to discuss the role of nasal decolonization in patient infection prevention and control. And to start off, uh, how about an overview of nasal decolonization? What is, Sue, what is nasal decolonization and how is it being used in healthcare to reduce the risk of infections? Well, nasal decolonization is the process of applying a product to the anterior nares, or that's just right inside the nostrils, to inactivate bacteria that normally reside there. And the reason for this is that there are bacteria that can contaminate patient hands during nose touching, which then can lead to them contaminating their own surgical incision or indwelling devices such as an IV, and that can cause infection. The Mm -hmm. patient's contaminated hands can also 
contaminate the surfaces right around in their immediate environment. And that can lead to healthcare workers contaminating their hands and instruments. And then those can be, those bacteria on those instruments and hands can be transferred to other patients where they can cause additional infections. And we know that nose touching is, is, is very, uh, happens all the time, reported to occur hundreds of times per day. And we know that nasal carriers of Staph aureus are seven times more likely to have contaminated hands than non-carriers. And that's a common bacteria that's found in the nose. So those individuals can more easily contaminate their environment and themselves. Uh, nasal decolonization will lower the chance of nose-to-hand contamination and then subsequent bacterial transmission and the risk of infections. So... Patients that are colonized with Staph aureus or the resistant strain of Staph aureus, MRSA, are 14 to 24 times more likely to become infected. And 80% of the time, it's from their own nasal bacteria. Nasal carriage of this bug, Staph aureus, has been reported in 30% of the population. So it's common. And the resistant strain, MRSA, has been found in an average of 8% of the population. Both of these types of bacteria can cause infections in hospitalized patients. And there are also other microorganisms of concern that have been reported to temporarily or transiently colonize the nose. And these include gram-negatives. So, In recent years, the use of nasal decolonization has expanded to include many applications, such as controlling outbreaks, preventing device-associated infections, such as catheter-related bloodstream infections, uh, preventing infections in high-risk patient populations, such as intensive care units, reducing contact precautions for MRSA-colonized patients, and preventing surgical site infections. Sue, are are there clinical studies that support the use of nasal decolonization for HAI prevention and control? Yes, the evidence that supports nasal decolonization is vast and robust, and typically it is used in combination with chlorhexidine bathing. And studies that use both of those in in a paired intervention, so nasal decolonization and chlorhexidine or antiseptic bathing, conclude that it is effective in preventing all types of infection. And these infections can result from bacterial contamination of surgical incisions and other potential portals of entry, such as IV catheters, urinary catheters, and endotracheal tubes. A portion of the surgical infections likely comes from caregivers, but the majority comes from the patient's own bacteria. Hmm. What types of products are used to decolonize the nose, Sue? Well, there, there are currently three primary types of nasal decolonizing agents used in U.S. healthcare, and one is an antibiotic ointment called mupirocin. The other two are antiseptic-based products, either alcohol-based or iodine-based. Of the three, mupirocin has been in use the longest, 
having first been introduced in the 1970s. Consequently, it has been the most frequently used and studied nasal decolonizing agent. And what's been demonstrated with Pearson repeatedly is that nasal decolonization in concert or paired with chlorhexidine bathing does provide significant infection risk reduction for many types of healthcare-associated infections. There are, however, concerns with the use of that antibiotic or uh, ointment or mupirocin, and, and those concerns include that strains of Staph aureus bacteria resistant to mupirocin continue to increase. Then, of course, there are other limitations, including that it is slow to reach full effect. It generally requires a five-day, twice-daily application by the patient. Mm -hmm. And patient compliance is also a very common challenge. Furthermore, despite correct application and full course of treatment with mupirocin, adequate reduction of MRSA and the sensitive strain of Staph aureus is often not complete. The newer Nasal antiseptics, on the other hand, have characteristics that minimize or eliminate these limitations and the associated risks. The antiseptic products permit just-in-time application rather than by patients. The healthcare providers can apply the products just-in-time. They have fast, broad-spectrum efficacy and little or no resistance potential. And as mentioned, alcohol and iodine-based products are the two primary types of nasal antiseptics currently being used and being used with increased frequency to replace mupirocin. With, with just a couple of more moments in a couple more minutes, excuse me, in the, this segment, um, how do hospitals determine if nasal decolonization is right for the patients? Well, most hospitals can benefit from a well-designed nasal decolonization program. The primary determinant for whether to expand current infection prevention bundles to include nasal decolonization is whether or not your facility has achieved and is able to sustain zero preventable infections. Mm -hmm. So if the answer is no or not yet, it would be prudent to consider nasal decolonization. And as mentioned, when paired with antiseptic skin cleansing, and it can result in reduction of all the types of healthcare-associated infections, including surgical infection, Klebsi, Cauti, MRSA, and healthcare-associated pneumonia. Additionally, it's being used to replace or reduce the use of contact precautions for colonized MRSA patients. Replacing contact precautions with decolonization can improve care by reducing infection risk, lowering costs, and increasing patient and staff satisfaction. You know, I, you know what? I just have about a minute left in this segment. And is there anything that you can add to what's the best way to implement a nasal decolonization product to acute care setting? Well, I'd say first, it's important to determine which approach is preferred. Two approaches are commonly employed in, in U.S. hospitals, targeted decolonization, so only those patients who test positive from MRSA, and then universal decolonization, so all patients in a certain department, such as ICU. 
So it would be important to figure out which approach uh, is best for your facility and then move on from there. This, you know, this is just so fascinating. And, and I want to thank you, Sue and Bill, uh, for sharing this information with our global listeners. We're going to pause uh, just now for a commercial break. And when we return, we're going to continue discussing nasal decolonization and reducing patient infection risk with Sue Barnes, RN, BSN, and Dr. Bill Spanhake of Global Life Technologies, uh, makers of Nosen. Stay tuned and we will return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age, at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, Sue and Bill. And we're here to talk about, uh, we're going to continue the program by discussing the best practices in hospital nasal decolonization and uh, current practices, gaps, and future applications. And my first question in Right now, to Sue will be, can you describe any best practices you are aware of relative to nasal decolonization? Sure. Sure. In, in my opinion, universal decolonization for a department such as intensive care unit ICU instead of targeted decolonization makes a lot of sense. And it's a strategy supported by clinical studies as well. The REDUCE study compared those two approaches and did conclude that universal decolonization was more effective than targeted decolonization, as well as 
screening and isolation, both in reducing rates of MRSA, bacteremia, and bloodstream infection from any other pathogen. Mm-hmm. I also consider use of a nasal antiseptic instead of mupirocin a best practice because it takes patient compliance out of the equation and it provides immediate and effective nasal decolonization with a great safety profile. And I would say that that the two studies that included post-operative nasal decolonization using an alcohol-based nasal antiseptic is also a best practice because there you're continuing to reduce the nasal flora and the potential for patient self-contamination of the surgical incision post-operatively until it begins to heal. Do you see any gaps in current nasal and skin decolonization programs, Sue? Yes, absolutely. Nasal decolonization is really only being used today in acute care facilities, although MRSA and the sensitive strain of uh, Staph aureus are a significant risk to patients in skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities and in dialysis clinics. So especially those that are post-op and those with an indwelling device, this is a really significant gap that could be easily addressed. Well, what do you see? Well, well, better said, what should hospitals consider when evaluating nasal decolonization products? I think uh, it helps to first determine the specific purpose that it's going to be used for. For instance, surgical infection prevention or reducing the incidence of contact precautions for MRSA colonized patients. A uh, critical consideration during evaluation and selection of the agents for nasal nasal decolonization is involving the clinicians. For instance, uh, determining, is it easy to apply? Is it pleasant, clean, and accepted by patients? Of course, uh, patient acceptance is important to ensure not only satisfaction, which is really important in today's healthcare, but also, compliance. Additional factors might include evidence of efficacy, duration of efficacy, safety profile, con- convenience, and of course, always price point. Right. So now, now, what do professional clinical guidelines say about nasal decolonization? Well, there, there have been five major professional surgical site infection prevention guidelines published in the last few years. American College of Surgeons, the Centers for Disease Control, the WHO, World Health Organization, and the Shea Compendium, as well as the Wisconsin Public Health Department SSI Prevention Guideline. Additionally, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists published a prophylactic antibiotic guideline in 2013, which addressed in part nasal decolonization. Now, all of these guidelines, except the CDC, recommend nasal decolonization preoperatively. However, none except the Wisconsin Public Health Department guideline offered a standard approach or protocol. What the Wisconsin guideline recommended is a standard regimen of topical nasal mupirocin or an alternative approach involving the use of a nasal antiseptic applied to the nares one to two hours prior to surgery, along with the chlorhexidine bathing prior to surgical admission. The 
Healthcare Research and Educational Trust, HRET, recommends the alcohol-based nasal antiseptic in combination with CHD bathing. Are there any other advantages to using a nasal antiseptic instead of mupirocin antibiotic ointment? Well, as I kind of mentioned before, it, it was in response to concerns about emerging bacterial resistance to topical mupirocin that effective antiseptic alternatives for nasal decolonization were developed. Nasal antiseptic use in surgery to and to reduce contact precautions for MRSA-colonized patients makes a lot of sense from the perspective of antibiotic stewardship and also provides a safe and immediately effective nasal decolonization strategy. Nasal antiseptics can also provide the means to directly control nasal colonization on a daily basis during the post-operative period of incisional healing. Wow. Uh, you know, I, it's like I have one more question for you, Sue, and then I'd like to get to Bill if I can. Um, why, why would it be important to add nasal decolonization to CHG bathing when replacing CP for colonization MRSA patients? Well, the nose is the primary reservoir on the human body for MRSA and Staph aureus, and both of those bacteria, as mentioned, can cause infection in the patient as well as can be potentially transmitted by healthcare workers to other patients. You know, and uh, I'd like to continue on to discussing um, just a little bit. Um, uh, Bill, would you mind telling us um, about Nosen nasal sanitizer and how it works? Sure, Kevin. Uh, the um, Nosen antiseptic uh, is an ethanol-based product that's been on the market for more than 10 years for mm-hmm. use in personal hygiene to reduce the risk of nasal pathogen carriage and acquisition in areas of high pathogen burden. Um, it is, it's regulated as a drug by the FDA as an over-the-counter topical antiseptic, along with iodine and quaternary ammonium antiseptics like benzalkonium chloride. The nasal, uh, the uh, nose and antiseptic is formulated as a mixture of ethanol and natural oils that takes advantage of the broad spectrum and immediate bactericidal activity of ethanol and the moisturizing action of oils that eliminate irritation and drying in the nose. Nosen is applied to the anterior nares, also called the nasal vestibule, as you might know. Mm-hmm. And that serves in most individuals, uh, as Sue alluded, to the single most abundant repository for a wide range of potential pathogens, including both uh, antibiotic-susceptible and antibiotic-resistant Staph aureus, MSSA, and MRSA. Uh, ethanol has been used successfully for decades as a topical antiseptic, and its effectiveness is linked to its ability to dissolve bacterial cell membranes and to coagulate the cell's proteins. Rather than targeting specific biochemical pathways within the cells, um, as antibiotics do, this broad, this, this very broad destructive bactericidal action explains why bacterial resistance to ethanol is not seen to develop when it's used in the prescribed concentrations. Uh, an, another important characteristic of the nose in preparation is its ability to create an inhospitable local environment in the vestibule that retards regrowth and results in a persistence of its effect. 
you know, this is this is really interesting. We are looking at this one innovative nasal antiseptic product for use in decolonization. And uh, I'm going to ask you another question before we break. We've got a, just we've just got just under four minutes, Bill. So thank you very much. And how is how is nosin being used in hospitals today? Well, it's being very used. Its, it's use is, is quite broad. We can recognize many areas within healthcare facilities in which the presence of nasal carriage of MRSA and MSSA and other potential pathogens increases the risk of transmission and infection. The characteristics of the alcohol-based nasal sanitizer, uh, including its immediate, safe, effective decolonization, um, its ease and pleasant nature of use and its ability to be used on a regular daily basis enable its use in many areas of the hospital well beyond surgery. Uh, in many hospitals, the uh, approach is used as an integral part of infection prevention strategies to lower infection risk in patients who present risk due to their own MRSA colonization or who are at risk of becoming infected by others. Uh, in the past, we couldn't um, uh, address broad-based reduction because of our concerns with overuse of ana- antibiotics, but uh, the use of antiseptics removes those concerns and has allowed us to expand our uh, approaches in prevention and control uh, options within healthcare facilities. Uh, mm-hmm. It's being used uh, to reduce staff transmission or self-infection, um, Uh, in ICUs and step-down units. It's uh, being used for the protection of patients who are at increased risk from becoming infected, such as uh, those in transplantation, hematology, oncology, neonatal burn, and critical care units. And in some cases, Nosen is actually used uh, uh, for the voluntary self-application by medical and surgical staff and visitors to these same patients. And Nosen is used in many facilities to provide an, an option to reduce risks of environmental transmission or self-infection in patients who are known or suspected MRSA carriers, whether or not they're under CP isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's used to offer additional safety for nursing, a different, uh, a different aspect of it, additional safety for nursing and other staff who undergo exposures while in areas of high colonization pressure. And finally, alcohol-based decolonization is used to support hospital-wide programs to responsibly reduce environmental bioburden and the risks of infection that they pose to all within the facility. Yeah, that is extremely informative. And we're going to close out this segment right now. And once we come back, we're going to continue talking about the um, innovative product as well as um, as, as more questions for Dr. Bill. So we're going to break now for, uh, for a quick commercial break. And thanks to our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. 
Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and it's again my pleasure to reintroduce our guest Sue Barnes, RN, BSN, and Dr. Bill Spanicky, uh, here to discuss nasal decolonization and reducing patient infection risk. We're going to continue to just to talking about a very informative program um, by looking at one of our innovative nasal antiseptic products for use in decolonization. And so, Bill, before we um, we left for break. I was talking to you a few questions, and we left off. And I'd like to ask you another one. It's uh, what is the patient experience with Nosen? Right. Well, Kevin, as a nasal antiseptic that was developed for multiple daily use, it's not surprising that the Nosen product has been enthusiastic receive, uh, enthusiastically received both by patients as well as staff. For the, for the patients, the application experience is pleasant, quick, and simple uh, with no discomfort. And the nurses like the product because the treatment interactions with their patients are made enjoyable by those same qualities. That's fantastic. Is there, is there, is there clinical evidence that supports the efficacy of Nosen? Uh, yes. There are several studies that have looked at clinical effectiveness um, of the, the product. Um, uh, among them, one study was, uh, that was published in AGIC in 2017 investigated its orthopedic perioperative use in 673 spine patients mm-hmm. uh, and also involved voluntary decolonization by surgical and nursing staff. Uh, the addition of nose and, uh, antiseptic was made to a pre-existing IP protocol that already included CHG bathing. So the nasal component was added on top of the CHG that was already there. The patients were provided product and instructed to self-decolonize for five to seven days post-discharge. When compared to the nine-month baseline, nosen use resulted in an 81% reduction in staph surgical site infections that was sustained for the 15-month trial period. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in another example, at a university-affiliated hospital in West Virginia um, that was carried out in 527 total joint uh, patients, right. uh, they were treated perioperatively with uh, Nosen and uh, were compared to a one-year cohort of matched and historical controls. The um, nasal decolonization resulted in a significant decrease in SSI rates of 78% compared to controls. Uh, these data were presented at the 2018 American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting in, uh, in New Orleans. But in, importantly, in addition to its use in uh, reducing SSIs, the nose antiseptic is being used to minimize the risk of nasal MRSA colonization in patients outside the OR. One example is its use in MRSA colonized and high-risk patients for whom contact precautions were suspended in 113-bed acute care hospital. As presented at the uh, 2016 annual APIC meeting, alcohol-based nasal decolonization was implemented facility-wide to minimize the risks of both MRSA transmission and self-infection in these patients while maintaining already quite low MRSA HAI rates. Uh, Compared to the three-year baseline period, the addition of nasal and skin decolonization held rates at a comparable 0.12 per thousand patient days level for at least uh, for the one-year trial period. Uh, and that was accompanied by significant PPE cost savings. This is all extremely interesting, uh, Dr. Bill. I got I have another, you don't mind if I call you Dr. Bill, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind that. You get that a lot. People shy I, away from Dr. Bill's, but that's okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. There's a, there's a question that's on my mind. It kind of it's sparked from the conversation we've had so far. In the hospital that requests the surgical team to use nose in prior to operating to further reduce the patient infection risk, how how was that received? Well, um, it, um, it it was actually the it was actually the surgeon who headed up the spine service who heard about plans to uh, to use nose in pre and post op in the patients and indicated his interest in having his surgical teams participate. Uh, so in addition to voluntary use by the nurses in pre- and, uh, and post-op areas in the PACU, the um, surgeons and their surgical teams also made the commitment. It's my understanding that in the huddle prior to each procedure, the surgeon identified anyone in the group who had not yet used the antiseptic that day and reminded them to do so. It kind of became a part of their pre-op process. Uh, mm-hmm. The surgeons were obviously pleased with the improvement in staph infections um, beyond that of using CHG alone, as I mentioned before. Oh, okay. And uh, how should a hospital go about developing a business case for the introduction of nosin? Well, uh, traditionally, nasal decolonization was intended to reduce SSIs, and the business case was based on the cost avoided by reducing infections. At present, nasal decolonization is being used to replace MRSA active surveillance programs, which have a negative impact on patient care, staff utilization, and patient throughput, and um, which are very costly. Uh, in these applications, the business case is built on the direct costs eliminated when screening and isolation costs are reduced. Typically, mm-hmm. um, a universal uh, nasal decolonization program with nosen costs considerably less than the direct out or out-of-pocket costs of traditional uh, surveillance programs. In addition, the nasal decolonization programs eliminate thousands of wasted staff hours. 
in one assessment, the average ICU program in a 30-bed ICU uh, could eliminate as many as 68,000 gown-in and gown-outs events per year with substantial cost savings. Uh, studies suggest that uh, such a program could uh, you know, also reduce infections by as many as 20 per year, which obviously saves considerable expenditure for care. You, you know, Sue, Sue, if I can go back to um, some questions that I was asking you before, um, I know that I wanted to continue talking to you a little bit, um, but I left something off. It, it goes back to one of my questions that I had written down um, much earlier, and it was it had to do with um, how should clinicians monitor the impact of nasal decolonization product and protocol to on infection rates? I think the audience yeah, would like to. that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, you know, I would say the easiest way to determine the impact of any infection prevention practice, including nasal decolonization, is to make a comparison of infection rates uh, before and after the intervention and only include that one intervention. Mm-hmm. So this obviously is not as rigorous as a controlled study where the Previous practices continued in one group of patients in a control arm while a second group of patients in the treatment group received the practice with the addition of the nasal decolonization. In such a case, a 6- or 12-month control period would be matched to a similar treatment period with statistical comparison being made of the infection rates. However, the semi-quantitative more uh, simple before and after format can provide really good information if the only difference in practice between the before or control period and the after or treatment period is the addition of the nasal decolonization. You know, uh, I'm just every, Uh, every time, go ahead. I'm sorry. uh, I was just going to add that, you know, you could look at additional metrics beyond infection rate uh, because the nasal antiseptic really has been, uh, the experience has been really positive with patients. So you could look at additional metrics, including patient satisfaction, staff satisfaction, but also when we're using the product to reduce the incidence of, of contact precautions for MRSA colonized patients, you can look at the cost of uh, the reduced cost of personal protective equipment, as well as MRSA lab screening costs. Fantastic. Is, um, and Bill, is there anything you would like to add to that? We have just a few minutes left, and you're welcome to add to what Sue just said. Or Sue, if you'd like to elaborate a little bit more, you're more than welcome. Well, um, I, you know, one thing that I didn't really emphasize that, that I think is super important is when you're, um, in, when you're getting ready to implement any new change or practice, improvement, it's really important in my experience to identify an executive champion. So someone like a a CEO or CMO who can really support that change among the staff and doctors, physicians, nursing staff, etc. That's really important in order to be successful in, in implementing any change. Uh, You know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you an offbeat question is are are either of you, and you're welcome to put this in, uh, I'm going to put this actually to Bill. Um, are you seeing any changes coming forward or any, any, anything that our patients might want to know about, our listeners, 
that you could add some insight to that? I know we're going to get to some final thoughts in the last segment, but is there anything you would like to add? Well, the uh, we're, we really are uh, at a turning point, I think, in our ability to address uh, infections and, and infection risk situations that um, engender infection risk much more broadly than we were ever able to do that, that in the past because of the uh, use of uh, the restriction to be using antibi- uh, antibiotics. And, uh, and I, I think now that we have an opportunity to look very broadly across the, um, the facilities, the different components, and, and look at the, the sources of the, um, the infection risk that's there, the colonization pressure that's there, and where is it coming from, and in what ways might we reduce that? Thank All you. of those things put, put uh, the patients at risk, and we now can look at it in a very broad sense. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sue and Bill. And, and look, at this time, we'd like to pause for a commercial break and we'll return. And we're going to give some closing thoughts. And thank you to our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand-washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. 
Welcome back to the program, and we thank our global listeners for joining us today. And it is a pleasure to once again introduce our guest, Sue Barnes, RN, BSN, and Dr. Bill Spanicky, and to the uh, who is of the Global Life Technologies, here to discuss nasal decolonization and reducing patient infection risk. Welcome back to the program, Sue and Bill. Thank you. And before we close the program today, um, I'd like to get some concluding thoughts. And, and Sue, if I can ask you first, what are your concluding thoughts on this intensely informative program that we had today? Uh, thanks, Kevin. Uh, I would say that nasal decolonization is a proven, effective tool for infection prevention. Some have referred to it as a hand hygiene for the nose. And just as with any infection prevention tool, it's incumbent upon infection prevention departments to direct and support healthcare providers to ensure they're leveraging all effective infection prevention products and practices to optimize patient safety. And given the introduction of nasal antiseptics, which are easy, convenient, and safe to use, optimizing nasal decolonization for evidence-based infection prevention applications, as well as embarking on studies to determine the value of proposed future applications, should remain clinical priorities with the ultimate goals of reducing infection risk and improving patient safety. That's fantastic. And Bill, what are your uh, thoughts that you might have? Well, Kevin, I, I think this is a very exciting time in healthcare-based infection control and prevention. Uh, new and improved technologies are being employed in, in the search of more effective ways to reduce levels of pathogenic bacteria in our healthcare environments. Uh, among these is the demonstrated ability of antiseptic nasal decolonization agents to safely and effectively reduce carriage and associated risk, opening up possibilities that were actually not ethically sustainable with the antibiotic alternative. I'm especially excited about the fact that the unique qualities of the alcohol-based nasal antiseptic provide additional opportunities to broaden our attack on infection risk posed by nasal carriage throughout our healthcare facilities. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. If I may, um, and I just want to add to what you all were um, talking about with your conclusion, Uh, from a patient point of view, and and my mom was in the hospital. She contracted MRSA in in um, in some surgery that she had. And it was something that we didn't know where it came from. We didn't uh, understand it. Uh, do you feel that uh, what you're offering in the conversation that we're having will put people's mind at ease about MRSA? Because when you think when you think about hospitals, you might think about MRSA. You might think about other diseases and or, or other infections that you might catch. Um, would Would you say that that your participation is bringing people's mind to ease? Uh, let's ask uh, Bill first, if you don't mind. Well, we we would certainly hope so. Um, An important component of all of this is for uh, uh, patients and, of course, uh, uh, the staff that are involved in doing the treating, uh, understand 
what what the process is and and why it's so important. Um, we, as I as I mentioned before, we have been sequestering a lot of nasal decolonization in the area of um, of uh, surgery, and in fact, the opportunities throughout the hospital to uh, in special units, as I mentioned, and and elsewhere, where a lot of these patients may wind up. Not everyone goes in for surgery. That in those areas as well, there is there are uh, procedures in place that are reducing. The, the, um, the amount of bacteria in the environment and the risk that that bacteria uh, can pose uh, while they're in the hospital. So I think, it's, I think they should be uh, feeling much more safe uh, knowing that a facility is, uh, is doing this, particularly those that are doing it whole house. All admissions coming in are decolonized, an inexpensive and thorough thing to do. Um, and that, too, has to be, uh, has to be very satisfying. So is this something that a patient should be cognizant of and ask their, their attending physician is if they can get any assistance with us? You know, for instance, if they, you know, if I, they are, if the, if the hospital has a program like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think an educated patient is a safe, safer patient. So um, yes, absolutely. Patients should uh, be their own advocates uh, become informed about the primary ways in which to reduce the risk of healthcare-associated infections, and speak up and ask for those what's happening in the in the facility where they're they're entering, and demand that the best-in-class prevention products and practices be applied to help keep them safe. Be your own advocate, right? Just get out there and ask. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know, we have like, we have Absolutely. about four minutes left and, and I'd love to hear of any other thoughts that you all might have, especially um, what would help the patients uh, when they go to the hospital? Because we're all concerned about those infections, as I pointed out. Um, but is there anything else that you'd like to add that um, would encourage hospitals to, to include this in their program to move forward? So would you like to add to that? Or Sure. Well, there's a host of things. Uh, you know, and when it, a healthcare-associated infection occurs, uh, it typically is not just one risk that has resulted in that infection. There, it's uh, there are numerous things at at play. When a family member or friend approaches me and asks, "What can I do to make myself safer?" I'm going into the hospital. You know, I I give them the laundry list. So. Nasal decolonization is certainly on that list because it's so simple, with, with a, especially with the alcohol-based nasal antiseptic. It's pleasant and easy. But you also want to make sure that you, that, that you practice good hand hygiene, have hand sanitizer available, uh, request that the people touching you clean their hands before they touch you and touch anything that goes into your body. Very uh, good point. I, yeah, I actually tell them to bring germicidal or disinfectant wipes and clean off the immediate environment where they are located in their patient room in addition to what the housekeepers do. I think that's uh, not necessarily done very well in most hospitals. So those are some things. And, of course, the flu vaccine, super important to get that every year. 
You know, you know, and you just brought up an important topic and with just a couple of minutes left that, um, and Bill, if I could direct this to you, that was, that is important that it's not just the patient's um, nose that may give them the bacteria. It, it's the people visiting them, isn't it? It's the people coming to the hospital to visit the uh, the patient. They, they may have put their fingers by their, by their nose. They might've come on and, and touched the hand of the patient. Is it transferable? Is any of the bacteria transferable? Hey. Absolutely. That it's that's absolutely the case. Um, we we know that thirty percent of the general population carries staph in their nose. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, a smaller percentage of that is MRSA, but thirty percent, one out of every three people, if you look around, uh, are carrying staph right now, and that gets carried into the hospital and touching the nose with your your hand to rub your nose, which happens a hundred times a day uh, in some studies that uh, looked at that. Uh, once you, you can transfer the bacteria from that anterior area onto the tabletop, onto the, the um, food table, onto the bed rail, and, and those areas then become hot spots for other people to pick it up or the patient to, to touch it and pick it up. And Sue's suggestion about bringing your own hand sanitizer is probably not a bad idea for those very reasons. So uh, I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that it's not that the transfer of, of this, this bacteria in the nasal area is very easy to do. And, um, and we don't even know we're doing it in many cases. Oh, that is, I'm so glad we had this extra time to bring this up. And Sue and Bill, I want to thank you um, today from, from CDF Spores and more global broadcasting. And we're grateful for your dedication in healthcare and putting patients first. And at this time, the members of the CDF Foundation wish to acknowledge all the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health, the organizations for professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention and treatments, protecting the gut microbiome microbiome and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress and how you may be able to take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation. So C. diff foundation.org and click on the tab clinical trials in progress help them help you to help others and save the date the third annual global c diff awareness walk taking place on may 18th in teaneck new jersey newport ritchie florida and the lester england will be led by dr martha cloakey and her lab take a walk in the park to promote c diff infection awareness and help us save lives worldwide for more information please visit the website www.cdiffoundation.org We look forward to meeting you on May 18th. We send our get well wishes to the patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Kevin Hirsch, with a reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a very, very good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.